was a different uh, introduction, uh, Darren Burgess. It How was. are you? Yeah, good, Doc, and you? Good. Now, the reason for the uh, playing the French national anthem is that we have a French guest today. Very special guest, uh, Dr. Martin Bouchard. Uh, hello, Martin. How are you? <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, thanks for, for having me. And uh, I don't think you needed the anthem to, to if, like, yeah, for people who don't know me with the accent, you would have straight up... <laughs> Uh, found out so, but thanks for that. Yeah, uh, there are a lot of people with fake uh, French accents in Australia. I'd say, you know, they think it sounds pretty sexy. So, uh, Martin, so welcome. Look, uh, I mean, I'm sure many of uh, our audience know uh, your background, but just tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself and uh, your sort of uh, upbringing and, uh, and and childhood and, and academic uh, progress and uh, and your career uh, over the last few years. So, let's start at the beginning. From the beginning, uh, yes, okay, no. Um, I'm a former handball player and strength and conditioning coach in these sports initially, uh, which I know handball is almost nothing in um, in in Oz, as it uh, as it is, for example, baseball in Europe. We don't even know the rules, you know, yeah. or maybe as as AFL is in Europe as well. So sorry, um, but it's it's in Europe. It's, it's big. Uh, it's big. So that that was my sport. Um, and from that, I always just wanted to be both professional and or coach at the, at the elite level. Did I make it professional? Um, it's impossible to, let's say, make it for, for a living in, in handball. So I kind of quickly moved to, to football. Um, yeah, I think I can say football for, because like yes, of yes, course, yes, in, yes. in US, you have to <laughs> yep. say soccer, but you guys, you, you have the right word. So. <laughs> yeah. um, Moved to football on the on the professional side. Uh, past my PhDs, uh, started to really get more into football uh, when I worked in Aspire in, in Qatar, with more um, a more kind of a sport science uh, research orientation. Uh, so I left a bit the the, the, the field uh, in in Qatar, like in field in terms of being in the gym and on the pitch to deliver session. But I was of course like a applied sport science. Um, but Qatar came already, or at the same time, or after my first uh, visit to, to Australia. And this is really uh, where I really started to, to embrace, embrace and enjoy the, 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 the sports science view with the, the, the Aussie way. Uh, that was helping a little bit um, Aaron Kutz at his time in, in Carlton. Just did some uh, very good guys, and I made a lot of friends at this time. Then I helped uh, Nick Poulos in uh, in Adelaide when he was at the Crows. Um, and to be honest, like it was kind of a consultant type of role with uh, with those uh, AFL team. But in the end, I always said that I almost felt that I learned more myself than that that I was helping them. Uh, so it was a bit of a but yeah, no, it's been it's been incredible. And after this time, Qatar and those consultancy with uh, with the AFL started, um, uh, as I would say, maybe the, was the, the job of my life. Uh, Paris Saint Germain for for six years. Uh, got the chance then work with uh, guys like uh, Ibrahimovic, Neymar, Mbappe. So imagine that that was just brilliant. Uh, after six years, the universe decided that I should do something else for many reasons. 
and now for a year and a bit more uh, have a kind of a, a dual position Start, started last year with a kitman lab doing some uh, applied research for um, for all the teams that are customers for 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 kitman and that's really really cool cool uh, cool way to bring the the science the research but in something that is completely out of the academic space so you don't have to compromise your yourself you know to to publish something so this is really cool and now this season i'm also with uh, with lille uh, osc uh, it's a first first french league first french team first team in french team in first french league uh, in, in in france uh, it's great it's great to have this uh, this, this joint uh, position so i'm really really happy with uh, how things have uh, have moved on the last uh, last years it's a it's a fascinating career and and uh, I, I want to I'll ask you a question from your most recent move and then and then we'll we'll get back to some of the stuff in Aspire because I'm fascinated by the people that you met there and and what you learned but uh, uh, you decided to move uh, after the after the Paris situation which I, I guess we'll get to um, you decided to move the family uh, have a a sojourn across across Europe and then relocate can you talk us through your sort of reasoning behind that, and and uh, yeah, what 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 you thought before you did that? Because I think <laughs> it's a fascinating. You know, sorry to preempt it, Martin. I think it's a fascinating decision, and I have a lot of admiration for it. Because most people sort of panic and say, "Oh, I better, I got to get a job really quickly, otherwise the you know the industry will forget about me," or you know. But you you took a very different approach. Well, I'm 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 glad to hear that, and, and thanks for that, of course. Um, no, I think the, the idea when, and I think that a lot of people they've been longer than me in this, uh, as I said, uh, the roller caster or the hamster wheel, you know, like for me, it's been only six years, you know, when I talk about even like, like you, Darren, and a lot of people who might be listening, six years is not that much, but I still felt that I was probably missing a little bit because, yeah, again, the... The exit from from Paris was at the same time that I was really questioning myself a lot about what I was actually doing and back to trying to have an impact, trying to to do something worthwhile. And even though you might be working in one of the biggest uh, club in the world, as as you did again, Darren, you know, um, the actual impact you have might still be limited because of it's just so complex in the environment. And I'm not talking about the complexity and the politics that are in those clubs, but more the fact that if you want to own things and to do things that you hope that you, as an individual, has an impact, is difficult because there's so many people, there's so many dif dif difficulties around that. That so again, the, the the exit was linked to I need to do something that I I own better and I feel part of it. Let's say, um, and in this process of gaining gaining ownership and autonomy in these things. Of course, there was also the lifestyle, the family, the, the time. Uh, I went through difficult times as well, family-wise, with uh, losing uh, people that, uh, of course, like were close to me. So, you know, like this kind of uh, reaching a bit more than 40, like the, the typical uh, midlife crisis, you know, you say, no, I need to, I need just to enjoy more the day and be happier. And uh, part of being happier is living in, uh, of course, like where we're living in Paris was excellent. Um, but still, let's try to find something a bit sexier on the daily basis, having more time for the kid and so on. So that's why 
I and also it was post COVID, so I knew pff, it would be difficult to rush to get another job, another team, or I didn't know. So with my wife, the day the decision was made that I was not continuing with uh, with Paris, and believe me, the same day, not even the day, the, the, an hour after, we said, okay, let's 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 pack everything and and move south and. We already knew we'd be Spain because we just like the country. And uh, yeah, I said an hour after this uh, long phone call, when I was trying to figure out what I was doing with uh, with the guys in Paris, I said, okay, Spain, let's go. And no later than a week after, we were already on an on-site visit with my wife, visiting schools and everything, as I was visiting uh, hotels and training ground uh, to organize the camps with, uh, with Paris. You know, we had the checklist and we thought, okay, this is good, this is not good. And, and we made it happen in, in a couple of weeks. And then we went for a road trip, about almost about six weeks on, on the road with a few bags in, in the car, just going from Paris to south of Spain. And that was just a, an incredible journey. With, uh, imagine that just with um, the kids in the back and say, okay, this is a this is new life. And the good things, of course, as you said, at this moment, I didn't know what I would do. But, okay, of course, you have a bit of, uh, of, of money in the bank and you know you're going to survive anyway. So there was no real stress. And I was about and happy to take a, a day, a year to finish a book that I just now published now. Uh, I had so many projects that, had, that were left over that I was just happy to have more time. So on, as I said, on, on the family side, the personal side, it was important to get this time, but also I needed this time to get other things done. So there was no pressure at all to, to find something else. And the, 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 again, how funny and just a coincidence is. So as we were starting to drive down, we were just passing by and stopping at friends, family, three days in one place, two days in another, sometimes hotel, Airbnb, and just going, yeah, just this 2,000 uh, Ks, which is nothing in Australia again, <laughs> when I see how you guys can drive. Uh, but in Europe, imagine, I never managed to live more than four or five minutes by bike from where I live or where I work, you know. So for, for us, commuting is, is a big thing. We, we just don't like to commute and drive. So anyway, long drive. And just to, to finish the story with the, the work side is that as I was progressing south, I was getting more regular contact with the guys in, in Kitman who heard that I had left, left the club. And I kind of, I kind of say negotiate, but just discuss with them further, okay, I, I am joining or not, as we were driving down. And I actually ended up starting my first calls with the guys at Kitman the day we arrived uh, at destination in, in the south. So as if the, the trip just allowed me to to fix everything and organize everything with them so it was perfect it landed first day in first day in spain of course airbnb because we didn't have anything the school was starting and i started at the same time so just been incredible how the things developed like that it's, it's uh yeah, yeah perfect timing uh yeah. i guess to go back to your point about the impact i think that's a really important point and i i recall staying in your magnificent house in in France, uh, in, in Paris Saint-Germain and, and uh, going for a run and a walk with you to training and it was, it was beautiful. Uh, but over a few beers in that, um, in that courtyard there, we were talking about impact and this is after I'd just lost my job uh, at Arsenal and was sort of discuss, you know, figuring out what I was going to do next. And then, and then obviously, you know, you, as you said, the universe decided you weren't going to work for, for Paris again. But we spoke afterwards about the impact and 
uh, certainly in those big clubs because of the, um, you know, the, the, the complexities that you mentioned earlier, um, your impact is often limited. Talk, if you can, about, um, uh, about your motivation now to have more impact with perhaps, you know, if you can, some examples of, of your experiences at Paris. We shared a similar manager, or the same manager, not similar, but the same manager in Unai. And I remember speaking to you when he was about to join Arsenal and, and then you went through a couple of different managers and, and with the big machine that is Paris, uh, how is it that you managed to, um, to have that impact that, that, that you wanted? Yeah, the the thing is the, the it's always it's I mean, to sorry to start let's say it's more about what is really the best way to have an impact or what kind of sort of, of impact we are we are after um, and in our sort of jobs you know we are very much uh, responsible for the processes um, you have the structure the workflow you try to make people accountable for what they do. You just have to, yeah, everything has to be on paper. And that's how, at least for me, like, I like to be, I like, like things, you know, like control the uncontrollable. And it requires a lot, a lot of efforts, a lot of work to align everything, um, which I think makes sense. And again, that's the stuff that I've learned from, from my experience, watching how people work, operating in AFL and in other well-structured environments. Um, so this is how I was seeing the start of, an, of having an impact, or at least having the base to be able to have an impact. But then you realize that most of the decisions are made uh, over the coffee in the morning without looking at anything that has been done before or any sorts of data or consideration of uh, colleagues' opinion, for example. So often all those structures, all those processes are actually underused or swiped over so that's that's pretty that's a difficulty and it's frustrating you add the the constant changes in management staff at all levels so every second year or even even year you have to change everything or you have to re-explain to everyone what you've been doing not you as an individual but what let's say we at the club has been doing Uh, and it makes it so difficult and I think the, the the reward or the ability to impact in relation to the amount of work that is required is is very is very very little the the the, the ratio, um, and this is why I was starting to think and I came up almost to the conclusion that this kind of role, like full time in the club working twelve hours minimum a day uh, seven seven, in the end not to be more able to have the final world because again that's 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 very different in other contexts but in, in those clubs uh the manager always comes with his own fitness slash performance guy and in the end even though you have the title in the club most of the time you don't make the final decision because that's that's the guy the other one you know and uh of course, you have to make sure that you have a good relationship with this person because you have to, and that's the professional side of the things, and that's that's that works. But it's more, again, yeah, back, back on the on your ability to really impact the, the, the program, and um, and yeah, this is more coming from this frustration, and that's also the genesis of uh, again, and I know we're going to talk about that later, but of the the book I've been writing about. 
um, managing your frustration in, in, the, in this context where you put so much work in and at the end you have the feeling that you're just uh, yeah you're just part of it but not really making making the impact you want so that's that's really the the, the um, let's say the start of the the overall uh, discussion for for me and uh, the this is how I, I decided I needed to change the model let's say and that's why with uh, Lille, for example, at the moment, I'm only three days a week uh, with them at the club uh, so that I'm gaining, of course, a lot of freedom by not being there every day. But I'm also having the ability sometimes, you know, to zoom in and zoom out. Uh, and that's what I wanted to see if this model would work uh, better or different. And uh, of course, it's very early to, to start to have to draw a conclusion on that. But I have the feeling that in three days when I'm coming, I'm just going there to do things, but do things that are important. And when I'm not there, I'm just focusing on the process and making things are making sure things are growing uh, steadily. But it's uh, it's it's a different approach, and I know, I'll, I'll be able to tell you more in a, in a, in, a, in a few months of year of having changed the model. And and uh, I guess um, as a practitioner, we have the decision to make whether we accept some of the limitations of working in the environment that you described where you might not have the final or even the third or fourth final word um, or um, or not or you can accept the I guess the trimmings that come with working for a Paris or a Liverpool or an Arsenal or a Manchester United um, or you can maybe choose the model that you're choosing which is uh, attempting to have a bit more of an impact through other, um, you know, through a, a different model. Tell me, uh, in, in your um, uh, experience working with some great pract practitioners like Nick Poulos, who's now at, at the Giants, and, and Johan and Aaron from their time at Carlton, what, um, what did you see was happening in Australia and the AFL that might not have been happening you know, in, um, in, in say, the Premier League or, or you know, uh, international level football? What, what was attracting you about, um, attractive to you about the Australian environment? Yeah, without a doubt, um, processes and having the ability to get things done in a recurrent manner, uh, especially around the, the sports science side of the things, which was... The, the area where those guys were bringing me in to give them to give them uh, my views on, on it but on even on the training as well but you know like the, but again that was uh, 2010 11 in, in Carlton 2013 in in Adelaide so now what I'm going to describe now looks like uh, yeah of course everyone does that but <laughs> at this time it was really 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 new but just around the the, the, mo the monitoring side of the things the the load the response to load, uh, yeah, I think in 2011, that was unique. Well, you guys were doing the same, you know, but in, let's say, what Oz was doing at this time, it is what, that's what people are now doing in, in Europe or have been doing for a couple of years only. So I would say that Oz was between five and 10 years ahead of, uh, of, of the rest of the world in terms of having a systematic monitoring of, uh, yeah, as I said, load, response to load and, and, and so on. Um, on the side of that, uh, you always had a, a few interns, the research being embedded to the club. So you get your, 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 
continuous uh, staff development via what happens at the club. You get those PhDs on the side as well, which is incredible. And that's exactly like when I started in Paris in 2014, the only thing I had in mind, I wanted to reproduce what I've seen in, in, in Carlton and, and the Crows in Paris. So this, as, as we were progressing with the, the monitoring and the, process, the processes, I started to get um, embed PhDs as well. That's when uh, Mathieu Lacombe came in to help me with, uh, with supervising the PhDs. And I think by 2016, 17, we were, at least on, on my eyes and my views, pretty much uh, replicating uh, like my, my ideal models that I've had seen in, in, in Australia. Um, but even though we had replicated the processes, the models and everything, we had very, very poor buy-in. Buy-in most of the time, not only for the players, because I think players, they always, they want to be better, you know? So if you manage to convince them that if you have a few more data on them that will help you and them to be better, at some stage, you'll get something from them. That might not be as easy as, uh, as, as, a, as an AFL player, which is just more or less... It is, it is just so much in the culture that they don't even question it in, in Australia. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not that worried with the, the players. The biggest problem with the buy-in is uh, the, the, the staff. Could be club staff, could be coaching staff, because they always have their own views on that. And because it's coming from you and not from them, it's going to be difficult from day one anyway, because they just want to have uh, the feeling that they, they have made the decision or they have, this is their idea. Um, and this is what's really, really, at the end, uh, tiring, you know, back to what I was saying about the amount of work for the, for the little reward uh, on that. So, Martin, obviously you worked with some, some big names, players and, and coach managers or coaches as we, as we call them. Um, who were some of the, the more challenging uh, players that you had to – let's start with players anyway um, – you obviously had Zlatan, you had Neymar, you had some of the you know the really big names in in football. I mean, what, what was your approach to to managing the name? Because they've got entourages around them, they've got managers, they've probably got uh, you know performance people that they that they uh, they work with and so on. Take tell us the challenges of dealing with these sort of superstars of uh, of the sport. The the good thing is all those uh, challenges, as as you call them. Uh, have become really, um, you know, like you always said that the, the obstacle is, is the way, you know, that's really the case. So you always have a period where you say, oh, I didn't think about that. Or what did he say to me? Or, But in the end, it just makes you understand how complex it is. But just you, you just develop almost on the fly uh, strategies and, uh, and new ideas to get where you want to go. And... I can start with uh, with Latan, of course, because, and I keep saying that he's definitely the player that had the, the biggest influence for me or to me on my professional and almost on my personal or on, on me overall, because he's been on one side so difficult to work with. But when I say difficult, not because he was a pain, but because he had such a high standard, he had such a an attitude that makes it makes him very very special but once you get to know him better and i would say once you've worked with latin you can work with everyone 
see what I mean? So I've been through difficult moments with him. At some time, he didn't want to talk to me because, again, of the standard, he must have he was thought, I thought that I effed up something, and then I didn't I didn't deserve that that, to, that he would talk to me, you know. Um, but this is great because in the end, it just makes you realize that okay, you have to do better, and this is this is excellent. This is excellent, you know, the, the, the level of, of standard and and having the ability just for him to just to listen to you or to try to have a conversation. It took me weeks, months to be able to tell him what I really want him to listen uh, or to hear. Um, you know, that, that's, again, a story I've told a few times, which is uh, just shows the, the relationship I had with, with him at the start. So he had a few specific habits in terms of uh, nutrition, recovery. And, uh, and of course, I was just trying to to explain to him because when I started, there was no nutritionist at, at the club. So I was also looking for, for that on, on the side. And uh, yeah, just talking about some specific supplement that he could have or should try. And one of the first response, there was like a yeah, two, two specific sentences that he said. The first one was, uh, I, don't, I don't need to hear what you want me to drink. Plus, I just would like you to bring me what I want. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay. Um, and then he finished by, but you know how many goals I score without drinking your shit? So again, <laughs> It's hard and to argue with. This is this. <laughs> no, but this is brilliant because you're you're not even prepared to hear that. You don't. You're not, you just expect the guy to say, "Okay, fine, give me the this shake," or you know. Mm. And so you have to say, "Okay," and you have to respect because, of course, you respect the the player. He's such a such an incredible player, and he's also such a such a leader that you just have to accept and you say. Fine. Okay, he's done all his career without those uh, supplements and without me for sure. So how can we? How do we move on now? And I think having the ability not just to fall, just to to melt when you hear that, but just stand on on your feet and say, okay, I hear you, but believe me, this is supposed to be better because of that, 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 and then you find your argument because depending on the player, you can go on the. Or something more rational than than some than less could be more evidence based or just the other guys are doing it, which are the two opposite approaches. But anyway, yeah, back back to back to Zlatan. This has been incredibly valuable for my development to be exposed to to his constant uh, questionment about everything I would be doing, and I was also a bit more on the pitch at this time, so I was doing often giving a hand to the for the for the rehab. Uh, and also remember a few times just being trying to run with him, doing a few intermittent runs, uh, some some warm ups in the gym, and he would question every single exercise. But why why did we do why did we do ten seconds of exercise and not twelve? I said, <laughs> okay, okay, think about the phosphocreatine and ah, okay, very good. And also, brilliant, brilliant in terms of of my own development. Yeah, I uh, recall uh, at. Liverpool, Craig Bellamy, who wasn't, um, you know, as big a player as Latin, but he had a big reputation for understanding uh, and having strong opinions on performance. And and I was actually quite nervous doing a warm-up. You know, how many warm-ups have we done? But I was a bit nervous. And I finished the warm-up and he just walked past and said, too long, not specific enough, and just kept walking. That were the first words he ever <laughs> said to me. And he was right. 
and it, it sort of made me go back and say, okay, well, you know, and, and have that conversation with him and, and try and engage him. So uh, I agree with you in that they are learning um, uh, opportunities rather than uh, mm-hmm. offending your ego. Um, quick one, managers. How have you employed similar communication techniques with some of the managers that you've had? Who haven't wanted to listen because they've got their own guy or girl and, you, you know, how have you managed that? The, how I see managers is that they need to receive a piece of information, advice in probably less than five seconds. Um, and when I talk with, with colleagues outside of the, the sporting sphere, you know, they said, oh, as if you were delivering a pitch to a CEO or uh or the president of somewhere you know they they can't be bothered listening to that's it they can't be bothered listening <laughs> they just want they want the juice uh, but without the squeeze you know they want immediately something that hopefully resonate to them so it's not about making a summary not summary or making you just having having one or two sentences that has a meaning for them and hopefully, if it has, then you have a chance for a second sentence. Or if it's not now, if it's in the afternoon or the next day. And um, yeah, so I've developed this ability to be very cons- concise, concise, and deliver bits of information, selecting uh, by prioritizing things, the, info- the information that can make them listen. And sometimes it works, sometimes it was a complete failure. Um, but yeah, and that's, and again, it's finding what do you report directly to them and what do you report to their team and their team might then digest the suggestion, the information, and then their, their team might report to him and always try to keep both channels uh, open in parallel, because if I would go straight only to the coach the team will probably don't like it because they will feel uh, that they would, and fair enough, you don't want just to report to one person. You want to have a, a collective information decision. So that's also why I will always go for the other route going through the team. But for sure, I would not go always only through the team because often the information got diluted. And then again, it's not about myself and having this impact. I'm talking really about me, but just making sure uh, yeah, things are not too lost, too too often lost uh, through the this extra level on the on the on the ladder. Uh, but again, easier said than done. You really have to make sure people understand why you do it, why you keep these these parallel channels, uh, so that they don't don't, don't feel offended. And uh, yeah, and this is you're working on eggs most of the time. Yes. The close the closer you get around. The closer you get to the the head, the manager, the 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 harder it is, the more difficult it is. I said, yeah, yeah. So Martin, you talked about what you'd learned from Zlatan and, and other players and so on. I mean, give us you know, give us something that you feel you've made an impact with with Zlatan or one of the other superstars, where you've you feel something you've done has actually contributed to them becoming a better player. Well, I think. <laughs> from the start, when you talk to people with this level of of uh, achievement and their talent, very difficult to be able to say that I've contributed to anything when you see where they were 
before I started to work with them. So I don't think I could say that I made any one of those superstars better. I could say that about some kids that came up like when they were 20 and we spent hours in the gym. I said, okay, at least those guys, we had them for that or that. Uh, but though for those superstars, I don't think I could say I'm, I've done anything because they were so good before going through through our our club, our department. But I would still say that the impact, in, especially with those guys, the impact is more on the their on on the day by day small decision that you made on their training program. Yes. And this is how I see the impact. So, and again, this is where you make you make. You make 25 important decisions a day for every player, you know. Start from what time you have breakfast. You keep it at 9.30 as always, or you, you move it to, to 11 because we had a hard game the day before and you want them to, to sleep a bit more. So this is the type of, I would say, into bracket decision that can impact the recovery, that can impact the dynamic of the day. Then, Jim, you do collective or individual warm-up. What do you do? You just mobility and... Uh, and, um, and, and a few foam roll uh, series, or you add a little bit of uh, activation, some uh, explosive movements. Then you start, you know, and this is, and then I can, I can roll on the full day like that. And this is where, I'm, this is where probably my, my passion is on improving, fine tuning, optimizing the, the day, the session, part of the session with those guys. And I will never be able to measure anything of that. Because even though we, we even we know with Kitman, we're trying to investigate as much as we can all those real life types of scenario information and to see how that affects performance injury. But first, most of the time, you don't always monitor that properly to put that into a, a machine learning model. But also, you don't even have the ability to really see the effect of from rolling versus mobility, you know? Hmm. So it's, it's completely impossible to, to, to measure this actual practice, the effect, and then the impact you have. Uh, so answering to your question, I have no clue about the, sure. the amount, the magnitude of this impact, but this is where I've been trying to have it. And back to what I was starting from the start about shifting the impact from just organizing things, structure, which, as I said, takes a lot of time, and I don't think it's always paying. What I'm doing now with uh, with Lil, in the back, of course, in the background, I still have this process organization workflow, but I'm so happy that I can have my words on form role versus mobility, you know, because this is for sure happens, and yeah. that that's 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 a, the, the right bit. And and I think your point about you can't measure it, but you can only um, have the confidence to make that decision if you've um, yeah, if you've you've seen both versions, if you've communicated with players, if you've understood the understood the context around it as well, which I think is important and goes back to the decisions um, mm -hmm. that you make each day. Um, so, following on from from Brookie's talk about uh, about Zlatan, uh, the ego which before uh, you introduced it or, or um, magnified it, highlighted it in the performance world, or that's what you're doing at the moment, was always seen as a bit of a dirty word and was always seen as um, 
uh, oh, he's got an ego because he put something on Twitter or he put something on Instagram or, um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, to uh, I'd like you to comment on how you came up with that, uh, that title or that concept, I guess, because, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think we've, we've had that discussion before about um, ego being healthy at times. Um, but uh, it's never been viewed at that. So uh, I'll hand it over to you to, to, to discuss how you came up with it and the motivation behind it. You know, f- thanks for, for bringing that. Um, I think yeah, Zlatan, again, is probably, and it's funny because I tried to reach him, to reach out to him a few times. I wanted him to be involved in some of my reflection on, on that book as well, and he actually never responded. So I talked to his friends, talked to, to Maxwell, one of his best friends that I'm still in contact with, with Max. And Max was always like, no, but he can't be bothered. Like, of course, he, he appreciates you, you know what you're doing, but he just can't be bothered with, with all that. So fair enough. That will have just helped me to close the loop, to have him hearing what I wanted to say about him. You know, when I said just before that this is the player that had the biggest impact on me, I'd like him to understand that. Uh, just as a way to say thank you as well. But anyway, um, so back on the on the ego side of the things, um, I think, again, he is the, the best example of an incredible ego as we understand it. And uh, or maybe I just get just a diversion on the definition. As you said, it tends to be a, a dirty, a bad word, but this is probably an oversimplification that we have and a lack of having a clear definition. But if you really think about the actual, I don't go through the, the, the dictionary definition, but like uh, Pippa Grange, for example, works as a psychologist for, for the FA in, in England for a while. She's, she's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And she, she came with a definition about ego being the identity, you know, with the I, like the iPhone, the iPad, like the I, like a me. Yes. The, the 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 identity and i think that that's that's the best way to put it at the start it's something pretty neutral but then it becomes either talking about positive or negatives it's just how you manage it how you express it in relation to your context and the reality so back to zlatan he has of course the, and also we, we discuss a lot about the, the way you express your ego about volumes. So the volume is up, you're kind of showing off and putting yourself in the center. When the volume is down, you're kind of more discreet, you're hiding a little bit, you're listening, you know. So, so Zlatan has the ego volume <laughs> very, very, very high. <laughs> but, but he delivers. He delivers. He, he kicks goals from the middle of the pitch. Uh, he could drive the bus and every single person at the club will just be more confident and be ensure that we're going to win because he's in the locker. So he has a big ego, but he delivers. So we're fine. We cannot accept those attitudes because the results and the standard come with it. And that's really the, again, the learning and the reflection I had with him that I couldn't really blame him for his attitude. Because again, he was delivering it. Where I really started to have, uh, let's say, problems, and I said, we need to fix that, or we need to have a reflection around that, is when you have people, and again, it's often, it happens with players, but it's often with staff. And I'm not talking at all only about Paris here, it's important because you see that in academia, you see that everywhere, where people 
have the volume up, but they don't deliver. And then it becomes pretty ridiculous. And we have this concept about the, having the, the, the reality check. You know, you have to be aligned with the level of your volume, the how much you show off. As long as you deliver, it's, you have half of an excuse at least, you know. And uh, this is, yeah, this is the, the overall concept of accepting it. Because as you said, Darren, from the start, it's, it's, it, it's, it's needed in this environment. It's needed to, to be able to, as a player, to play in front of uh, 50, 60, 70,000 people in, in the crowd. You have to have this level of confidence and believe in you. On the other side, if the volume stays up all the time, there's no way you can listen. There's no way you're going to have uh, the ability to, to connect with others and so on. And, and we know that. We know very well those people who have the volume up and they just can't be, they can't collaborate in the end. And so that, um, I, I completely agree. And uh, um, early in my career, I always thought it was a bad thing if a player had that. But then, as you said, you know, players like Zlatan constantly deliver and, and want the ball at all times. Um, from that sort of concept into um, talking to as many people as you could um, uh, for the book, what did you learn from uh, that experience of interviewing uh, a whole bunch of people around their thoughts on ego in order to you know do the research and actually produce the book that way? What what were your biggest take home uh, messages from that whole experience? Yeah, uh, so I, I started really, you know, when I started to reach out with, to the first people, it was really about, it was not even a, a book project. It was just about, I needed help from, uh, from my peers. I needed help to see if my ego was really the problem or not. The, to just to put it in really very specific part, like uh, I was, I had difficulties to sleep. I had... Uh, I started to have a stomach problem, like, you know, this, everyone is, some people have been through that, you know? Mm -hmm. So people say, oh, it's, oh, you're stressed. Uh, you work too much. You travel too much. I said, no, no, don't worry. I've been doing that for a couple of years. I'm fine because you, okay, you travel, but you travel first class. You sleep in hotels, five stars hotels. So don't worry, I can sleep. <laughs> Do you work that much? I have long hours, but I manage my, my workload, you know? So it's not that the those this 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 situation was linked to frustration and not accepting um some decisions having those frustration that i mentioned earlier you know having this inability to do the things i wanted to do and being questioned every single moment for everything so i was like okay my ego and i've read I keep saying that I've read it 10 times. Of course, it's not the case, but like uh, ego is the enemy from uh, Ryan Holiday, you know? Yeah. I read it I read it when I was, let's say, okay. Uh, so I read it more about learning about the other's ego. But at some stage, it was mine that was causing me a problem because I did not accept the situation of everything being questioned all the time. And I was taking for myself. So back to your question, sorry, Darren, about what did I learn from the others? And that was that, that's what I started to have, to have those conversations and it ended up by 110 uh, interviews, is that the, the angle was, how do you guys deal with those situations when someone say that what you're doing is shit? When 
of course, it cannot be that shit when you've been, been doing this for 15 years in other environment and you've done this, you know, so, so it's around that. So what I've learned is around that. It's about managing the, um, the critics and putting your ego not as, uh, as just being a, a victim of it, but really understanding who you are backing up your self-confidence maybe with uh, objective and facts and things that you just can't really dismantle just with opinions, of course, you know. But of course, having a lot as well, the ability to take distance from it, uh, stuff that not coming only from the, from the interviews, but a lot of people mention it, you know, about the stoic philosophy and these kind of things, like you don't control yes. what happens, but you control the way you respond. So this is pretty important as well. But also taking some distance. Uh, I've always been like that, you know, seeing the, the glass uh, half full, half empty, but back on the, the criticisms, the criticisms and these kind of things and, okay, fine. What if now, okay, we disagree. Okay, but what if I take this more rather as an opportunity to learn? And this is, this is excellent because let's say, again, most of the time when you argue with, uh, with people and colleagues, it's often about small things but it's just more the accumulation of small things that make it big at the end but the question might be ah oh, no i don't like to do this kind of exercises uh, on day minus one we better do this one okay uh so don't get into a fight because that would that won't let you anywhere anyway uh let's let's accept first that was something that has been suggested to me many many times uh accept change put in place the other's suggestion and watch it if it works or let's say start the other way if it crashes perfect because that just uh show that you were right but you're learning and just confronting your uh, your thoughts and you might have now more facts to tell the others that they were wrong so it just helps through practice to show your points and I'm going to help you hopefully to, to sort the, the situation. Now, if what the, let's say your opponents into bracket, the others is actually working, of course, on a very medium short term that might hurt you because you realize that you were wrong, but hopefully you're a bit more clever than that. And you would accept being wrong because in the end, you're going to learn more and get better. And normally if you have a strong ego, and a healthy, strong, high volume ego, you want to improve, you want to be better. So understanding that accepting others opinion that might still work will still on the medium term, make you learn something new and be better that should help you to accept this as well. So now if you see those, those two routes, hopefully that should be, a, a, um, that, sh that should help you to just to, to take criticism again as positives and just move, move, move further, you know, well, that's just a very specific, specific sure. example. Um, but that, that's, that's helped, that's helped me a lot, for example. So the book, uh, Martin is called ego, egos. Is that how you, uh, so it's E G O A L S. So ego and goals, a very clever title. How are you pronouncing <laughs> that? Are you kidding? Egos? Is that the one? But I think it works like that. Yeah. The, <laughs> the idea comes from, uh, from George, George Perry, who was, uh, initially more or less an editor, but he, he just done so much work and so much input that he is definitely uh, a co-author 
and uh, that he came with with the title and a lot of those uh, small title sections. He's very good at that, so he found a lot of uh, funny funny quotes also. Yeah, that's right. that's so, yeah. yeah. So the front of the book says, uh, "Exercising your ego in high performance environments: What the back rooms of high performance sports can teach us about ego." In our professional lives so basically martin you went around and spoke to to how many people in the end yeah 100 i got 120 yeah no 110 in the book but i probably reached out to a bit more than 120 so i didn't got many that actually turned down the interviews so that was pretty impressive also and that's a combination of uh or players coaches high performance staff uh who who were the main uh, uh who made up that 110 yeah, uh, most of like that's my network, of course. So more a lot of people in more like Darren and myself, ish uh, physios, docs. Uh, I don't think I have any. I have a few. I have w one player, but it's a handball player I work with, uh, Thierry Omeyer, who's the best uh, goalkeeper coach, handball goalkeeper coach. Uh, but it's more because it's a friend, um, and he's a he's an incredibly competitive player also he's kind of the the zlatan of the handball um so i couldn't get zlatan so i had him at least you know uh but yeah most of the time it's people like uh like like darren and myself the big biggest majority right yeah surely you didn't have darren in a book that's called ego you know i can't believe uh, that that would be appropriate really but uh, anyway so uh, the book is uh, is out it's been released uh, just the last week or two is that right uh i noticed on uh, on amazon it's available in uh both uh, Kindle form and uh, and paperback. So uh, jump on Amazon, and uh, I'm sure it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating read. It is now. Thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, mate, I know you have to uh, look after your kids this morning. Hence, you got up uh, ridiculously early uh, your time. So we really appreciate you coming on, uh, coming on the podcast at this early time. So. We'll wrap it up and, and say, look, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to reading the book myself. Um, and uh, I've appreciated our many discussions over the years and, and long may they continue, mate. So, so thanks again. And, um, yeah, we look forward to, uh, to having you on here again. No, that's brilliant. No, it's ridiculously early. Not that early, as you know. I'm, I'm a more an, an early bird, so don't, don't, not, don't worry. Um, no, thanks. Thanks, you guys, for, for having me. Um, as you know, I have and I always keep a, a very special relationship with uh, with all you guys, all the all the Aussies, and I I just love so much my time, uh, my repeated visits to to us. That if I can contribute to anything, and having the the honor to be on on your show, it's it's it's, it's great. So no, thanks thanks for having me. Really really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Martin. Much appreciated. Cheers, mate.